0: It's a big day here at Bronze and Modern Gods. I'm John. And I'm Richard. And it's a big day because we have a very special guest. You saw it in the description, you saw it on the thumbnail. It is former Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief, Jim Shooter, Richard. Oh, I am so excited. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, being the big Legion guy you are, I think you're. Uh, this might be the day you explode on screen.
1: Yeah, this is like getting, getting like, um... Luke, Luke Skywalker stuck in an elevator with you, and you're, <laughs> he has to answer your questions. <laughs> you are a nerd. You know, follow us on
0: Facebook and Instagram at Bronze and Modern Gods. If you're watching us on YouTube, why not hit that thumbs up or subscribe? That would be even better helps with that algorithm and helps us reach new people just like you. Uh, We said we've got Jim Shooter. We've got the uh, underrated books of the week and we've got our hot book of the week. It's all Shooter
1: all the time, Richard. (laughs) Yeah, our hot book this week is Secret Wars. Number eight It's the origin of the symbiote suit worn by Spider-Man. If you've seen the black and the black suit that Spider-Man wore, which eventually turns into a villain this is the origin of that suit uh i remember when this book came out this book was right in the in the core of my my comic book uh nerddom back in the day and it was exciting seeing super seeing spider-man in a new costume you had no idea the significance of it at the time
0: it was really controversial because the the, the line the company line was this is going to be permanent we're not going back red and blue webs. They're gone. This is the new streamlined Spider-Man for the 80s. And uh, <laughs> it was never going to change. And, and some fans
1: didn't like that. Uh, it was a big deal. It was. It, you know, fans, comic book fans don't like change. It's a simple, <laughs> simple fact. Um, but no, this was, this was a big book as a part of the Secret Wars storyline, which is one of the most impactful storylines in the 80s. And a lot of things really happen in this in this title. And it's one of the things I want to talk to Mr. Shooter about today.
0: You also got two Secret Wars figurines out of it. Uh, You had the classic costume uh, action figure and -hmm. you had the uh, new Spider-Man action figure. Uh, What I love is the Mike Zeck art. Uh, It's just it's beautiful. Uh, He was drawing Captain America at the time, and it was the best Cap had looked in years. Uh, just a very, I don't know, I don't want to call it an 80s, glossy, chrome, flawless type of art approach, but it kind of was, especially when it was uh, teamed with John Beatty as an inker. Uh And boy, um Richard, I need an exact number from you. How many times has that cover been
1: homaged? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it has been homaged over and over and over. The, the, the one that I think of is the Homage where we've got um, Miles Morales on the cover in his black costume instead of, of Peter in his. Uh, it's not band the band pink band. costume with the hoodie? It is not the pink costume Man, I hate that thing. I hate that thing. <laughs> it, there's a CGC 10 uh, of this book out there. Uh, wow. I saw it on GPA. It sold in 2019 for $13,000. Uh, I don't know what it would bring uh, if it came to market right now. That's, that, I think that's a s- substantial number. This you know nine eight sold for six hundred and fifty five uh, last sale so it's it's a pricey book but not out of the reach of most most collectors who are looking for books in this era.
0: If you had thirteen k to throw around on a comic book, would you buy a Secret Wars eight in ten No, me neither. I would buy <laughs> <find laughs> other things to buy with it.
1: Yeah, well, hey, you know, I, I'm assuming whoever got that ten, um, they they they're holding on to it. Hoping for um, a, a huge increase because that's a big chunk of money to invest in a book,
0: or they, they were, that was a book when they came up that you know they remember buying yeah. and treasure it, and now they are uh, a multi-billionaire. Uh, maybe it was Elon. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> All right, Richard, it's time. He's here. Our special guest today helped define the silver, bronze, and copper ages of comics starting at the age of 13 at DC Comics with his scripts for the Legion Superheroes, then in the late 70s and 80s, reshaping Marvel Comics as its editor-in-chief, laying the groundwork for the multimedia juggernaut it is today. Now, even if he ended his career then and there, he'd go down in history as one of the industry's most important figures. But he didn't stop there, Richard. He went on to be a founder at Valiant Comics. At one time, one of the biggest comic book success stories of the 1990s, From there, he helped found Defiant Comics and then Broadway Comics before returning to DC for what I feel is an underrated run on the book that started it all for him, Legion of Superheroes. Have you ever read that run in the 2000s that Jim did? No, I didn't. I know people, including Jim, probably have some issues with the art and things like that, but I enjoyed it. I I wasn't even reading Legion. I saw Jim Shooter. I was like, yoink, I'll take that, please. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that our guest is one of the major figures in comic book history. And Richard and I are very proud and excited to welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Shooter. Hello. Hi, guys. How's that, huh?
2: That was a, an amazing intro, I'll tell you. That was great. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, we want to thank you very much for being here. Uh, we know you don't have to be here and you got things to do and you're a busy guy. So we really appreciate you taking the time.
2: Yeah, My pleasure. I'm happy to help. Uh, what are you up to these days? Let's start there. Well, uh, comic book industry is pretty much contracted. I mean, there's not much to be had there. I do some occasional indie stuff. I'm, I'm going to write a story with a guy named Michael Watkins who has a strip called the guardians. And, uh, he's a good guy, he's a good artist, And he's like-minded about telling the story and everything. So that's coming up. And, and, uh, I have kind of a standing offer from, uh, um, image to do, to do whatever, uh, um, you know, I, I want basically. Really? Yeah. We're, we're talking about maybe doing a how to book to start with. And then, and then maybe some, you know, fiction, <laughs> but, uh, uh, anyway, I got a lot of stuff that I could be doing, but what I'm really doing right now is I'm working on some Hollywood stuff. Uh, I have, um, uh, a couple of things pending look pretty real to me, but you know I never believe in anything till a check clears. But I've been doing some like uh, script doctor stuff and and some concept stuff. And and you know I'm this age I don't work on spec. I say yeah, so you pay me and I own it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and they yeah. say okay. And I say, All right. you, know, you, can, you can have certain rights and you know but you know. So, uh, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's like, wow, it's, it's amazing. It's like a dream, but, um, a lot of my career has been like that. But anyway,
0: Well, I think you just answered my next question. Uh, okay. what happened to your blog? Uh, it sounds like you don't have time.
2: I had a, I had a spell there after I, I finished, I did, uh, uh, four series for dark horse. Uh, one was, uh, eight issues and the others were all four. And once when I came to the end of that, um, uh, I had some time on my hands, you know, I I wasn't really hard pressed at that point. So I was doing some stuff just for myself, just just because I wanted to. And I was doing uh, the blog, which my friend uh, Janet Jackson, um, I told her she should change her name to Sheena Easton or something. (laughs) But uh, um, anyway, she calls herself JJ now. Uh, But she kind of talked me into that. And uh, she did all the technical stuff. Because if I can't make my phone work, I've got to find a five year old, you know, what I mean, right. and and I'm not good at the, at the high tech stuff. But uh, uh, so we did it for a while, uh, a couple of years, I guess. And uh, uh, it was fun. And I might get back to it. Because recently, uh, the company I work with, uh, not for with is Illustrated Media, and they just redid their website. And they also redid my, my, my blog, put it back the way I, I liked it. it. It had to be changed in the middle because it was moved to a different server or something. And, uh, I didn't like the new way, but now that it's back the old way. So I'm I'm, I'm happy. happy. There's a book in there, you know? Oh yes. Yeah. I, I get that a lot too. And I'm, I'm writing something about, um, sort of, uh, the, the industry right now. And, and, uh, uh you know that's been often suggested in in by many people in many ways and i finally picked away and i'm i'm working on it
0: awesome uh you you touched on something that i want to go back to and that was the dark horse things Uh, you were doing the gold key characters that came and went in a in a, a blink what happened
2: well what happened was uh mike got the license to do uh new material I guess he had had reprint rights before but but he had uh, mike richardson at dark horse had the rights to do new material i had just done a gig that was not fun um the uh, the two young men who owned uh uh, valiant entertainment uh, hired me to work for them and i I worked for seven months Mm -hmm. and um it, it just you know, I, I don't think they really knew what they wanted to do or how to do it, and they and they, they wouldn't listen to me, and <laughs> it got frustrating because you know I'm uh, trying to. They, I said, "All right, I'll do this editorial job you offered me, but no writing. All they wanted was me to write. I'm oh, writing wow. presentations and I'm writing stories, and I'm writing, and uh, I'm sitting in a room with five people who are all talking, trying to type on this little laptop." Hard to do and very frustrating. And like I said, I don't, I didn't seem to know where they were going, and, and uh, so I, I quit there. And I called Mike because I needed a gig, and um, uh, he said, "Well, he just got the rights to the Gold Key characters. You want to do it again?" And we're talking
0: said, Magnus Turok and Solar.
2: Magnus Turok, Solar, and Samson. And yeah. uh, and so uh, uh, and then all, he wanted to go on from there. He wanted to do Doctor Specter and some other hmm. things too. Um, and so I actually did some, done some development on those. Anyway, uh, um, he said to me, uh, you know, Mike's tough. He's, he's a, he knows what he's doing and he's, he, he wants it a certain way. He said, I want it true to the original. I want it, uh, uh, to be, you know, but not, not valiant part two. He said, mm-hmm. I want it to be all new, but true to the original. And, uh, I said, all right, I can, I can do that. And so when I went at it, I went at it with kind of a different mindset than I did with valiant and uh made it i think different i liked i liked it better Mike.
0: they were great i thought that's yeah. why i was shocked they they didn't last
2: well the thing was at that time a, a piracy in the industry was at all-time high mike's books were were free online before they left the printer wow. somebody was in there was stealing his his stuff and, and 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 putting it online somebody at the printer was doing oh, wow. that. And and it was very frustrating because it really hurt his sales. It, it was hurting everybody's sales. Uh, other companies lie about it, but no, it was hurting their sales. And, uh, uh, and and then he had this this license, which was very expensive. And he had me. I'm expensive, and and uh, he wanted to have these wonderful painted covers on every yeah. issue, and that's expensive. And so all in all, just 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 it was it was. Too much to do, too 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 big a, a deal, and and uh, and then when it wasn't selling great, and I was selling fine, but not not for with all the what it cost, you know. Yeah. So uh, uh, it, so we he finally said, let's just finish the first several runs, and then you know call it a day until I think up some some better. So it's okay, and you know, and we uh, I see him once in a while. He's in New York. We'll. We'll go have breakfast or something and uh, he's a good guy and you know i think uh you know if i ever had some idea i could pitch to him if, he, if i wanted to um or if he wanted something f- from me he knows he can always call me
0: awesome uh, somebody parallels uh between comics and the music industry because that's what yeah. i do and we, we were hit by piracy the same time we had people at the cd plants Taking digital files and putting them right up on Napster. So I completely relate to that story. But let's go back to the beginning. Richard, you have a story to
1: tell. Yeah. You know, my I'm in, I am a man of a certain age, um, <laughs> late 50s. And when I was growing up and I was a, a young kid, um, my father hung out at barbershops. He took me to the barbershop. That's where that was the socialization point
2: yeah the clubhouse it, it, yeah. it often is yeah
1: but you know i'm i'm a kid i i don't relate with these adults as they're talking so you know i would sit there and he you know the barber had a stack of comic books on on uh on the uh the shelf you know things like uh commandy and uh, and more importantly old adventure comics you know specifically oh. you know the legion and i read those books Partially because that's what all I had to do. (laughs) I read those books backwards and forwards. Later, my father bought me a stack about yay high of adventure comics. Um, They were coverless. They were well-read. And I literally shredded those books. I read them so many times.
2: (laughs) I did that Uh, to my early marvels.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I have have an inset love for um, the Legion. And especially... Hmm. You know, the Legion from from your I I can't imagine, you know, Legion, you know, uh, Adventure Comics number 346, which was the first issue uh, that you did, you uh, you penciled it and you also wrote it and got it published by D.C. at 13. That is amazing.
2: Not quite penciled. I mean, basically, I was 13, so I'm not going to be drawing as well as Kurt Swan or somebody, you know uh so uh what i did though is i did very comprehensive layouts i wanted them to know i mean i didn't know what a comic book script looked like so i just made it look like a comic book you know and i I did did a cover for designed a cover for it i colored the cover with my colored pencils because i wanted them to know exactly what i wanted you know and uh and, and but the layouts were the storytelling was good enough and uh, Mort, uh, the way he talked about it, he says, visual thinking. He says, you're good uh-huh. visual thinking. Okay. And it was good enough. And the, those older artists, they respected the kids' layouts. They, they, they would do what I asked them to do. These are like Grandmaster Hall of Fame, you know, all-time great guys. And they're listening to the kid. Oh, and P.S., when I made a mistake, when I did something wrong, they'd fix it. And they'd explain it to me. You know, and so I learned. I, I got, my, you know, got trained. And uh, so I did the layouts and and they liked them. The artists liked them, made the work easier. And, uh, uh, you know, couldn't draw well enough. But then they got this newfangled cover artist and his first job at DC Comics was doing covers from my sketches. He was was this guy named Neil Adams, you know. (laughs) know. And and so, uh, you know, I mean, but he liked my sketches and he used to encourage me and and, uh, he, he liked my Visual sense, and uh, uh, I, I'll tell you one little coda to that story, if you want. Sure. The uh, uh, years later, when I was doing that run on the Legion that you you were talking about, uh, uh, John, the um, in the, the 2005ish, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, when Neil heard that I was writing the Legion again, he he called Mike Marts, the editor, and he said he said Mike, uh, Jim's doing the Legion. I want to. Do a variant cover for you. And Mike said, Great, terrific. You know, he's in one condition Jim does the sketch. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the audacity of youth, though? You well, did- I, you know, I, I, I didn't know any better. I, I was too dumb to be afraid. I just, you know, did the best I could.
1: That is, well, how how, how did, it, did it feel to go to the newsstand and pick up the comic that you you created? Uh, you know, right then, back then when you're
2: 13. And, well, it felt great. And I, I have a funny story about that, too. I have a, had a friend, I lived in Pittsburgh, and a friend uh, whose uh, father was a big shot at Alcoa Aluminum. And they he used to travel to South America a lot, you know, on business. And so he knew his, his son's buddy had something to do with comics, you know. And uh, so he came back from one of his trips once, once from uh, the Dutch Suriname at the time. And uh, he said, oh, hey, I brought you a comic book. He says, "Uh, too bad you can't read it. It's in Dutch. I said, no problem. I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) It was was Superman 199. It was the one with the Superman flash race. No problem. I wrote it. (laughs) Nice, One of life's little
0: victories, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You still have it? Do you still have the Dutch version? Yes. Yes, I still have it. God, those foreign no, variants are worth a lot now yeah
1: I, I,
2: they're priceless to me
1: yeah and in one more one more legion question um legion or you know adventure comics 352 and 353 which were the introduction of the fatal five and the sun eater it's it's, it's so prototypical of some of the villains that we see nowadays and and super villain teams um i, I that's one of my favorite storylines from 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 yeah, the thanks. legion um, specifically, you know, Farrell, lad, he dies in 353 and not only dies, he, he doesn't comic book die, you know, like how many times has Superman died or, or, yeah. you know, he, he expires and, you know, there is a, there is a statue raised in his honor. Was that intentional? Did you really just want him to be, you know, the end of that particular character? Oh,
2: Yes. Definitely. I mean, I found it, uh, they didn't often do character deaths back in those days. In the Legion, they killed Lightning Lad, but he got better, you know, and, and uh, it, it's just like, it, it was so, I, I thought, no, dead is dead, you know, and, and so when I decided that I wanted to uh, kill Feralet, uh, I I made sure I planned. I had an upcoming issue where I showed his ghost, you know and then i had a future issue 20 years in the future where he, his his statue stands in the hall of uh, fallen heroes or something mm-hmm. like that and uh so i want you know it's, uh, he's dead now he's dead 20 years from now you know of course that doesn't bring other that doesn't keep other writers from bringing him back you know later or for, for i think first he had a twin an unknown twin brother i hate that <laughs> It's like I really hate it when they do that and then uh um and then and then if they brought him back, actually, and I, I thought, well, I'm gone. You know, it's, that's that's their character. They can do what they want.
0: Uh, I'd like to take this moment
1: to introduce my heretofore unknown twin. Come in and John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, I tell you, the, the fact that he died was so impactful to me because, you know, the Legion had yeah. death. You know, there was there was consequence to actions. Yeah. And that I was you running around the universe. Getting into all
2: these giant battles and stuff like that—does anybody ever get hurt, or you know, yeah. does somebody die? So I thought that was just part of the making it more real or lifelike. Um, right. It just—and uh, I wanted to do that. Um, and and actually, you know, it was since it was one of the new characters I created, there was not much discussion about it, and more more that that was all right. Um, was that the reason? You- I,
0: huh. Was that you responding to what was happening at Marvel comics at the time? No, no. Did they kill somebody at Marvel? Oh, like wonder man
2: and Avengers. Not, oh, they didn't really kill him. Yeah. He, he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> really dead. Um, but, uh, no, I, that was killing people was not usual in those days. Um, and certainly not any major characters. Um, but uh, yeah, and the reason I picked Farrell at is because our original plan for him is that someday he would take the mask off and he would be a uh, 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 African American. Oh wow! Okay, he'd have, he'd have brown skin, and no one would bat an eye. They wouldn't make any. They got a green guy. They got blue people. They got <laughs> orange people. Who cares? You know. And by a thousand years in the future, they've figured this out, right? right? So, so I it was just going to be like uh, just casual. Nobody cared. It wasn't was no big deal at all. It no, wasn't discussion. No discussion. Not mentioned. Nothing. And uh, which is exactly what Stan did with the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at all about race or skin color. Any what it was about a noble guy who was a heroic. You know, he's king of his own country. He said, a holy cow. So uh, I would have done it the way Stan did it or he did it the way I was going to do it let's put it that way because mine would have come out several months before his Mm -hmm. and uh uh, but my editor said no he said no you can't do that I said why not he said we'll lose our distribution in the south that's a quote what Mm -hmm. I I I was just uh I was so frustrated and I'd set this up like I said I had mass character It's Mm -hmm. part of his armor it's not no you know, he didn't have a ruined face or anything. It just was, uh, that was part of his armor. And then one day he takes the, the, the thing off. And it's no big deal. And nobody bat- ever bats an eye. Uh, and the way to do it wrong, I'm sorry. Um, Kerry Bates did the tie rock. Yeah. And he, he made it all about race. And but they had their own planet.
0: Uh, <laughs> or their own island or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally segregation. Which, in the I universe. mean,
2: it was just, it's like, oh, get over it. It's a thousand years in the you know it's let's 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 make it a positive future they figured this out right and then there's no no problem with
1: orange skin blue skin whatever you got it doesn't right right the legion was all about equality because there's so many different races that you know it was like uh green lantern corps you know yeah yeah
2: exactly and i guess that was well before green lantern corps wasn't it oh yeah sure but uh uh no anyway i that was my my plan I, i i wanted to uh uh do that. And they, they wouldn't let me. So I, I thought, well, at least let me give him a noble death.
1: Mm-hmm. We've
0: touched upon really early Marvel comics, uh, a couple times already. Uh, you in the 70s, as editor in chief of Marvel, you and you've said this on your blog, too, you would always have work for Kirby and Ditko and yeah, had, because sure. they were founding fathers, right? You, you betcha. <laughs> and now, here's where the question gets really geeky and granular. Is that why Machine Man was revived? To give ditko regular work no it just no. was a it was a seller it sold okay when kirby was oh, on it
2: no it when jack was doing his last three years at marvel it's, he started in the middle of 1975 contract ran to the middle of 78 i took over on the first working day of 1978 but whole time that i was there i started in the first working day of 76. Mm. and when i came in the door uh Jack was back at Marvel and it was not popular. I mean, yeah. uh there were the, some of the guys in the office love this stuff, but but uh the sales were terrible. Mm. And I found out that Jack had a clause in his contract. He was he was technically the editor of his own work. But that was just to protect him from some crazy person ruining things. Yeah. And uh, and so but the people before me, they took it kind of literally. I said, "Man, eh, Screw it. We don't have to even have to look at it. So these books of his, the early ones, are going out with every sentence ending with six six exclamation points and yeah. stuff like that and misspellings and things. I thought, no, wait a minute. It's just, it's, he's the king. He needs some respect here. And um, so I was the editor when I came in in 76, I was the line editor. I, I uh, edited all the comics. I was the hands-on guy. And I reported to the editor-in-chief. And uh, the editor-in-chief largely in those days didn't have much to do with editing the comics um i sort of presided and designed the covers and wrote the bullpen page i guess but uh um so i i started uh, when kirby every every week a kirby book would come in he did four books a month pencil and script wow. and they scripted right on there on the board yeah. you put the just letter in balloons just, just sort of like i did when i was a kid um, and, uh, so the books would come in and you would take the thing out of the envelope and the whole room would smell like cigar smoke, <laughs> made me very popular. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, so I'd go over them and I, when I was done marking them up, you know, or making my notes, um, I'd call him and I must've spent three three to five hours a week on the phone with this guy, you know, uh, every week because I was, I wanted to do what I could for her, you know, and make it as as what as good as I could. And the first question I always asked him, I said, Jack, would you mind if I took out some of these exclamation points? And he'd always say, you do that young man, you know? <laughs> and so I would, and then I'd, I'd, you know, go over things and I'd find places where I thought it could be smoother or, or you know, or, or maybe I could help him get what, across what he was trying to get across better. Or you know, just just he'd forget things sometimes, you know, make mistakes, um, but there were n- nothing major. But um, uh, so I I'd, I'd, I'd uh, you know try to help him, and at the end of every conversation, he always thanked me for helping him, mm-hmm. the king. Okay, and so I mean I, I did the best I could, but at that time Jack's popularity had hit a real bottom. I mean it was that it's an eight year he. When he gone to DC after leaving Marvel, that that stuff was revolutionary in many ways, but it didn't didn't do well, and right. uh, and that's why DC was not interested at in all at renewing his contract, uh-huh. but Marvel because of Stan, you know, they were you know loved to have him back, and and I guess Jack needed a gig. It wasn't exactly a love affair with Marvel at that point, but he he uh, you know he needed a gig, and so he he came back and he took a three years contract. But I say nobody was paying much attention in the office until until me, and yeah. and uh, the books out on the stands. I think the fans had gotten the idea that this is kind of look. It looks old fashioned, looks kind of unusual, and and uh, I think some of them even thought it was reprints. You know, wow. so that was all newsstand sales in the day, and and uh, newsstands. You you know you you send out a bunch of copies, and you have a certain percentage of sell through, right? Uh-huh. And so uh, at that time when most Marvel books were s- selling through about 50 percent, Jack's were selling single digits, mm. single digits, some of them. And that's not good. And so uh, so but uh, I, I, I tried to help them. I think we, we did pick up the sales picked up a little bit toward the end. But that was a really bad time for well, for, Jack can, and for comics.
0: You can After- tell when you come on though and help him you really can tell as as a Kirby acolyte right here just just count
2: the exclamation points you know I mean the
0: covers all of a sudden you have Terry Austin inking him you have Bob Wyacek inking him whereas before it was Royer 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 uh now you have some variety in it and kind of contemporized it a little bit
2: yeah that was good uh I think Archie was the first one to start getting that done um and I that was fine with me I I was okay with that um and uh and Jack uh, toward the end of the time there, I think I I don't know what I guess he realized that we were trying to, you know, uh, build a success, you know, help him. And uh I think he he softened on the Royer Musting ink everything rule, you know. And right. It was Royal and uh, wait, D, D, D Bruce Berry. Which- yeah. Ooh. D. Bruce Berry. The reason they, cool. they did it is because he he made a deal with him that they would return all the artwork to him. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you had someone like Frank Giacoya do it, well then Giacoya was entitled to some pages and Jack didn't want it.
0: So. Um, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, All right. Time for the uh, geekiest question of the hour. We had Chuck Rosansky from Mile High, who you know well. Yes. um, And we went through this with him and we got his uh, confirmation. We want yours because out of uh, Ed Shukin, was that, is that how you pronounce his name? The circulation?
2: Ed yeah, he was the circulation uh, director. He's yeah,
0: probably the only other person that is gonna know this more than you two. There are fans out there that insist that the Whitman re- reprints, and I'm using reprints in quotes because some people insist they are not reprints, that they are just a black plate change. They were early direct market books. And we say, no, the direct market started in April, 1979, officially. What is the official
2: about that? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Whitman was was a plate change.
0: It was a so they were printed the same time as the regular book. Absolutely, of course. You You know,
2: I mean, they weren't going to go back and do a second run for the small number of Whitman copies. You know, this is a plate change, and they changed that. On in those days, the print runs are big enough, and you're printing letterpress, the plates wear out quickly, and so Uh you 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 need to replate anyway. And so we had a couple of replatings there. I, I think that um, Whitman was one.
0: You can't on. be another.
2: Yeah, maybe. So anyway, uh, you know, that was no big deal. We just replated and,
0: and marched on. Um, but those uh, Whitmans but, never leaked to the direct market um, early. Yeah. No, <laughs> Take that, that, everybody. That's you total fiction. To. That's
2: that's ridiculous. I mean, uh, um, yeah, Chuck Chuck knows that. And, yep. I hope he said the same thing I'm saying, he
0: confirmed the same thing you're saying. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah.
2: Well, the thing is Chuck and I, between us, we probably know almost everything that happened back then because I know it from the inside and he knows it from the outside, the distributor retailer side. And so uh, every once in a while, he'll tell me something. I didn't know that, you know, and a lot of times I'll tell him what the reality was in house. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, in the industry, I, I had a nice, I had an interesting point of view because I was a creative guy. I was the editor in chief, and I was uh, a vice president, so I yep. was part of the executive staff. So I was like privy to a lot of stuff upstairs. You know, I, I, you know, it cracks me up when I read these interviews with guys, and they're talking about the Marvel's smoke-filled boardroom where all the executives are deciding what they're how we're going to deal with get rid of these creeps at First Comics, a. We didn't have a boardroom. B. None of the executives had ever opened a comic book, and they wouldn't know what first comics was if you told. Uh, You know, it's like one time the president of the company was being deposed for some lawsuit, and he was asked to name uh, uh, three comic book companies that he couldn't. No, he was asked to name five Marvel characters, and he starts off with Conan. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and he couldn't do it. It was like he it gets to Conan, Star Wars and maybe X-Men. Oh, yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah, you know, he, I was mean, he really, he was, he, he was helpless with this stuff. He, he had never opened a book. And the first the uh, licensing lady, she she calls me up all excited. Why call me? There's a thir- there's a stairway and her office is like 30 feet away. Right. And and but the people upstairs they didn't come down to our floor. It was the that was the creative floor. It was mm-hmm. I it was almost all my guys, and um, they were afraid to come down there because it was like the jungle and it was scary, <laughs> it was dangerous creatures there. You don't know what's going to happen, you know. And so so they would call me from right up there, you know, rather than come down and see me. Anyway, she calls me up one day and she says she saw. Oh, I'm so excited! I just made the greatest deal for Wonder Woman. I said, Gail, yeah, we, yeah, we don't own Wonder Woman. She's what do you mean we don't own Wonder Woman? I said, that's DC. Call What's-Her-Face over there and tell her you teed up a deal, you know? <laughs> and and so, uh, you know, lie to her. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, she was so furious because she apparently made a very rich deal. And, uh, mm. and then the, the lady in charge of promotions, who I think her main job was getting the costume characters to the White House Easter egg role. I don't know what else she did, but uh, maybe she did something. I don't know, but, but they would come to our she, local mall too. <laughs> she she called me up one one day, and um, and and she says, "Hey Jim, uh, how many how many stories are in each comic book?" <laughs> I said, "I said, well, how, how many do you think, Nancy?" And she says, "So four or five, you know." <laughs> I said, "No, it's one, and, and they're often they're continued." She's only one. I said, "Nancy, read one someday." You know, find out who you're representing. You she know. was an Archie. Oh, <laughs> so I, you know, I mean, I I think she read the Harvey books back when there were yeah. these little, like, four-page Casper stories and stuff. Right. I
0: don't. You bring don't up know. a really good. You bring up a great point, though. Do you feel some sort of indication now? Because at the time, the narrative was you came in and you made all these changes and you had a firm editorial hand, and that is the norm now. That is belonging to. I mean.
2: Right. I, 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 I tried my, my goal was to try to get good creators and help them do their thing. I was the uh, uh, the, the, the backstop. I mean, I, if somebody wanted to do something that I was just totally off the wall, I, I would occasionally say no. Mm-hmm. And that's why some of these guys don't like me. John Byrne didn't like to hear the word no. <laughs> you know um and uh uh so so i mean but by but I basically i i did not micromanage i i didn't tell guys write like this or do this i want this storyline or i went i never i just I, I i made sure it was a guy like walt simonson yep and i checked on what he did because even walt could make a mistake uh but you know all that stuff with thor he that's him my contribution to that was telling the editor um uh I said, the, the sales are falling on Thor. We, we need to do something. This It's really not cooking here. And he, he said, everything you can do with Thor has already been done. And I said, I should fire you right now. Because if you think that way, I said, you can't work here. You know, right. and he said, well, no, what I mean is that, you know. So he, he starts spreading word that I'm looking to improve Thor. And so I get a call from Walt. He called me. And he said, he said, I'll do it and i said hmm let's see uh walt simonson hmm okay you know <laughs> you know so so anyway he told me what he what he was gonna do and i i just it, i thought it was rocking what do you mean there's nothing there's nothing left to do with thor walt, walt open new worlds i mean he he didn't yeah. want to reboot it he didn't want to start for number one not that i would have let him anyway right. but but he uh you know he just made it good, he made it okay. good
0: excellent frank miller, frank miller roger mckenzie daredevil same thing
2: yeah yeah roger yeah, so frank especially took it to i mean it was our our number two book and then not by much against the x-men um but uh yeah i mean uh, nobody was micromanaging frank you know uh he was he, you know we made sure he didn't go too far off the rails and he never did you know but you get good people and you know I mean, every once in a while, Claremont, the sound of his own wheels are driving crazy or something, and, and he'd want to do something. And a couple of times I had to say, uh, I don't think so, Chris. You and know? one
0: time you stepped in is probably the held up as the greatest X-Men story ever, and that's the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah,
2: that's 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 true. I mean, Chris has been dining out on this story about that evil Jim Shooter made me kill Phoenix for years. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I mean, Chris and I are friends. I wrote his introduction to the Hall of Fame, Okay and and uh we're he worked for me at defiant i mean you know we', we it's not like we were well we always were arguing, you know <laughs> it's always arguing <laughs> and and so uh with the with the phoenix thing um the story started out she was supposed to uh become a bad guy and stay that way. i told him i my this is my contribution, we're having lunch, and he's trying to think up a storyline and I think it was jim salakrup was me jim salakrup and 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 chris and uh so he's like stuck for some something to do and and i I said hey chris i said marvel's had a lot of bad guys who became good guys like hawkeye black widow swordsman you know i said we've never had a good guy go bad and stay that way he says don't say another word i don't want another (laughs) word i'm like he says i'm gonna do it all myself this is i want it to be my story i want him to do all myself i i respect that that's great you know, I like writers who have that kind of feeling. Who who else did? Archie Goodwin. Me. Stan. And so so anyway, uh, you know, I like that. I thought that was that was noble of him. So he starts on this storyline. I guess he, he and Byrne worked on it together, I, I, I guess. I mean, mostly Chris, I would assume. And uh, and it was going along. It was getting more and more intense. And um, I'm thinking, wow, this is getting really intense. By that time, Louise Simonson was the editor. And I don't think she really knew how it started, how the whole project started, and and so, or, or she knew what Chris told her, which might not have been spot on. And so Louise is, thinks it's pretty good; it's going along. And I, so I went to her and I I, I said, hey, Louise, um, I, I want to know how this story ends. I said, I said, uh, what do you have? And she said, Well, I got two issues in progress, and I've got the plot for the last one. I said, Okay, I said, well, let me see. And so I looked it over, and it's just getting more and more intense. It's building and building and building, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and 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 then I read the plot for the last issue where he just totally cops out. The Shiar fixed her brain; she's fine again. She goes back to Westchester, and you know, is a regular X Man, and you know, I say, no, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> it's, you don't just blow up a planet, and <laughs> this, it's okay now. I was sick that day, you know, right, right. You, know, it, you can't, you you don't blow up a starship full of people I mean the relatives of those people are going to be a little peeved don't you think yeah and just like oh I'm fine now it's okay you know it's like taking the German army away from Hitler and letting him live on Long Island <laughs> no no. no. so he said well what do you want me to do and I said I said well maybe she goes to galactic prison or something he says no the x-men would keep trying to rescue her I said not on my watch pal baloney <laughs> I said, but all right, now it's your turn. You think of something. And so the next morning he comes in, he stands at my door, he crosses his arms, says, I'm gonna kill her. I said, mm-hmm. deal, you do that right, that's a good ending. Bluff and called. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you can't kill her. I said, I'm not killing killin her, you're killing her. So <laughs> we're in a stupid argument. But he has revised that you know, over time to be that I ordered him to kill Phoenix. No, you volunteered, pal. It was, okay. as a matter of fact, he did a documentary once. He was sitting next to Louise and he starts the, uh, you know, the, they had asked me the same question for the documentary and I told him what really happened. And then they they asked the same question to Chris, see what he would say. And uh, separately, we're, we're interviewed mm-hmm. separately. They asked the same question to Chris. And so he starts on the evil Jim Shooter thing and, and Louise turns to him and she points at his face. She says, Chris, you know it was your idea. And he has to admit it because that's why i on camera. He has to admit it. Um, so it was that was sort of like one of life's little victories there. And like I say, Chris and I, we see each other all the time. And, and if we do, we're right back to bantering about this and that. It's you know, it's it's yeah. normal. Eye.
0: She killed the asparagus people. Yes,
2: <laughs> but but <laughs> he, he's he, Chris is a great guy. And, and I'm telling you, I, I made them do a good ending. Yeah, like, boy, did they do it? Oh, oh it was amazing. It was amazing.
1: I was buying them off the newsstand and and reading it the day that I got it, and then had to wait twenty nine days for the next issue. It was torture. it was torture, but you know the, you. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole era. Got, yeah. Oh yeah, you had me hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, then, you know, it, it set me as an X Men uh, fanatic yeah. for, for that's, life.
2: That's, that's me when I was a, a kid, and I'm reading Stan and Jack and Steve stuff. I just couldn't wait to find out what happened. I wanted oh. to know what's going on with Spider Man next month. You know, oh,
1: absolutely. And so, so you had a nine year tenure as an editor in chief, and it's
2: more like ten actually because I I, I started at the beginning of '78 and I left. Technically, I was fired in April. However, okay. my my contract went on, and and I was uh, still doing stuff for Marvel till the end of the year. I was I, they sent me I, they fired me and then sent me on a promotional tour in the UK. <laughs> uh i designed a float and a balloon for the macy's parade i uh i, I did an appearance at um the world science fiction con in, in the fall and some other stuff i mean i was consultant you know uh so i was still there was, you know I, I just wasn't in the office anymore running the the books that's all sure
1: but you know during during that time you did you know the fantastic four came out um frank miller's run of daredevil walt simonson's run of thor um Roger Stearns run of the Avengers and Spider-Man. Yes. Oh yeah. Did you, did you feel how important, it, was it important during the time that all that was going on? Did you get the sense of how impactful that time was for Marvel in general?
2: I knew we were doing something good. I mean, I got the greatest people you could get. And mm-hmm. uh, it helped that the rest of the industry was collapsing because the streets were awash with the uh, unemployed talent. But uh, so I was able to get first the great editors. I got Archie Goodwin to come back, and he's the best of all time. Uh, I got uh, uh, Warren out of business, so I was able to get Louise. That's okay. like better than Christmas, you know. I got uh, uh, D- DC had their implosion, and they ended up laying off or firing a lot of people. I ended up getting uh, Larry Hama, and uh, and then you know and, and other people too. We we were getting other people all along, like Carl Potts. Are you kidding me? And Bob Budiansky, I mean, the Transformers guy, you know, I mean, and he could genius, could do anything. And we got oh, and then we started because Louise is there. Before that, it was mostly guys who showed up for jobs. I mean, hardly ever uh, a, a woman showed up. I think maybe Mary Jo once. I don't know. But um, um, all of a sudden, because Louise is there, I guess I guess people saying, well, how bad could it be? Louise is there, you know, and and so uh, we actually started getting uh, uh a, a wider variety of individuals and a lot of talented people we had and the for instance genius I mean, underrated
0: who takes over from Frank miller and makes it her own
2: you uh, bet and 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 also she did that long shot book yeah. and bunch of other stuff well you know she was started as my secretary was a lousy secretary and uh, and i i said Anne, I i thought you knew what you were doing and she says well no you know i just wanted to get in the door because i really really want to be a writer I said, well, show me something you've written. She said, I don't have anything appropriate. (laughs) I said, pick a character, any character, write me a story. Right. So at that time, Marvel was publishing Smurfs. So she picked Smurfs. All right. And she wrote this Smurf story and I'm reading it. and It's really good. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, this is the best Smurf story ever written. And I, I, I took it to uh, Louise. Needed an assistant at that time. I, her assistant had gone freelancer, getting promoted, or I don't know what. Anyway, um, so I went and I showed her this story, and she reads. It. She says, this is, "This is really good." I said, "Yeah." I said, Anna Senti wrote this." She's Anne. I said, "Yeah." I said, "I said, you know, I said, look, I understand you're looking for an assistant editor. Maybe you consider Anne, because I let them every. I let everybody hire their own. You know, I didn't interfere with that stuff. Um, and so. Uh, Louise says, "Well, I don't want to steal your secretary." I said, "Oh no, go ahead, steal her." <laughs> oh yeah, like, oh, no, really, please. <laughs> and so, uh, so Anne went to work, and now, now she she Anne is is being trained by Louise. I mean, that's that's you, you can't do better, you know. Right. It, it was great, and and Mary Joe Duffy was trained by Archie, and uh, and so you know, all of a sudden we're getting all this uh, talented people, and and um, uh, you know, it's funny. You make a good opportunity, open the door wide and make a sincere and tap that and diversity happens. I didn't even, mm-hmm. I'd never even heard that word before <laughs> used in that context, but you know, all of a sudden I got all this great crew, and everybody bringing something different to it. And
0: it just- I want to give you credit for one of my favorite writers too. Um, Jim Owsley, AKA Christopher Priest. Yeah. He started out as a high school intern.
2: I mean, he was like a, uh, you know, the, one of the uh, high school kids that come in and, and they, you know, go make copies or go get coffee or, you know, I mean that, the gopher people and and so he starts coming in on roller skates because he's always having to skate down the hole to go to the photocopy and and, and i thought it's comic book company you know it's fine <laughs> it, was, it, it was a really good thing that the people from upstairs didn't come down to our floor because any of them had seen that that have been thrown a fit about the insurance and some stuff i didn't care you know it's like uh, he's a good skater he'll, he'll do fine um and and but he was really bright and really creative and uh uh when he graduated from high school, he applied to, for, we had an opening for assistant editor. He applied. And uh, I can't remember which editor it was, but whoever it is, they, they asked me, you know, what do you think of hiring this guy? I said, he's one of the smartest people ever to walk through our doors. I think, you know, give him a shot. And so they did. And he really just blossomed. He he really, he he, he got good. He got dangerous. The only thing he wasn't good at was all the bureaucratic stuff you know keeping the schedules and things like that because i did promote him to editor and as long as he had an assistant who was good at that he was tremendous but then when he didn't have an assistant who was kind of a detail guy Mm -hmm. uh then things started to fall off you know the tracks and if i called him my office i said jim i gotta fire you and he said thank you (laughs) <laughs> he said thank you ask him he, and 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 so I said but it's like getting a raise because now you know because he had started doing some writing I said right. now you can write full-time you'll make more money you know yeah. I'm, I'm firing you into a raise you know <laughs> you're, you're being fired upward you know and uh so and he was pleased because that's what he really wanted to do yeah. he, he wanted to do creative he, he didn't want to have to worry about schedules and You know, uh, uh, you know, hunting down artists and things like
0: I didn't want to do that. best move for him. I mean, after your time, his Black Panther run is amazing. Yes. Uh, Just so many things come. He did
2: Quantum and Woody for Valiant after I left there. He did a whole bunch of really just, you know, innovative, Mm -hmm. really kind of crazy good stuff.
0: Uh, I'm a huge fan of your star brand, believe it or not. No, thank Um, you. Uh, as we all know, you left Marvel just as that book was building up and gaining steam. Do you remember any of your future plans for that book? Oh, who sure was the, I remember who was the old man, Who was the old man? <laughs> well, uh, you're going to give it away? He, he, sort of. I mean, okay.
2: uh, he becomes the enemy, you know, because uh, he he's, and I didn't want to have this, the uh, Green Lantern Corps. I didn't want to have populated with you know, all kinds of aliens and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but, but this, the star brand is the greatest weapon in the universe. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you, you, have to find the right guy who can not misuse it and defend it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, I, my, my biggest plans with him were, were to do like, he's like, it was Superman level. You know, I mean, he was that strong. And, and, and so I thought, well, as he starts, as people start to become aware of him, um, nobody's just going to say, oh, it's nice. We have Superman, you know, mm-hmm. and he's saving falling airplanes. No, I mean, I'm telling you, what would really happen if there was a guy who on a, a, a you know, a bad mood day decided to sink the seventh fleet? I mean, the government wouldn't just say, oh, well, he he's probably okay. You know, I mean, they'd be working constantly on their anti star brand program and secret under underground labs and stuff every country in the world would you know mm-hmm. I mean they'd be afraid of him plenty you know and it wasn't uh, the small level where where Jonah Jameson was trying to get people to be afraid of spider-man I mean he is a existential threat mm-hmm. unless he's a really good guy and so I I had this evolution plan for him where you know at first he's kind of just an ordinary guy and he's as much of a jerk as anyone else, and he he, he grows into it. Yeah. He learns and he grows into it, and and he and he becomes very cautious. And he 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 knows the government that almost everything that communication with him is some kind of trap. Uh. But you know they're his source for where help is needed, and and uh, and he picks and chooses. And and he he keeps his distance, and he's, he's very cautious and very careful. He doesn't want, you know, the, the whole reason for secret identities back in the day, got lost someplace. And it, it the the thing was, if they know who your friends are, they'll go uh, after you know. Right. So so, uh,
1: I saw made it? that real. I made that real.
2: That? I made it. I made it. Anyway, I was, that's where I was going with it. And the nice thing about Starbrand is that I had tremendous art. Because uh, they took all our budget away, we didn't have any money. Couldn't get guys because if you can't guarantee royalties, um, how are you going to get Walt Simonson to leave Thor and do something that right. may not make it, you know, and, and uh, or lose income on it, you know? They just uh, so we ended up having whoever couldn't get work that week, and uh, you look at the credits, you see a lot, awful lot of assistant editors in there. Why? Because they took away my entire budget, and I was yeah. told to do it on staff and I, I i'm like uh wh- how am i going to do this and so uh, I, those people were volunteers who yep. worked for free yeah. to help me all right and uh and i have to hand it to them they did some pretty good stuff the other guy who really was the champion was archie archie goodman mm-hmm. he he you know uh came to my rescue he he i think he created four of those eight characters yep. uh, he, yeah uh trust us he, he, yeah. And anyway, I mean, so, okay, uh, we're not having any luck getting artists or writers, you know. I mean, Archie wrote a few books, but he wasn't fast, so he couldn't do much. And, uh, and I wrote Star Brand and did the best I could. But um, the thing is, like, as we're getting ready to get going on the first, I've written the story for the first issue. Um, uh, John Romita Jr. comes walking into my room, and he says, can anybody draw your book? And I said, no. And he said, he's, I want to draw it. I said, John, you're in, what do you want? Iron Man, X Men? What? What do you want? I said, you're making good money. Trust me, this is dead on the ground. I said, this is we're not we don't have the money, we don't have the support. I said, this is a, this is doomed to failure. I said, so stay where you are, you know, and keep doing that as well as you do it. And he said, no, I want to draw your book. And I'm like, you're crazy. Anyway, but he argues, and so I, I finally said, all right, okay. At least I have world class pencils. Later that day, Al Williamson calls me. He says, "Hey, here, JR is drawing your book. I want to ink it." it said, beautiful. You guys are out of your minds. <laughs> but, but, out of their minds or not, I had world class art on that mm-hmm. book. I did world class art because they were trying to help me. They were doing me a favor, you know. And uh, and so I was, that was that was good. And I had it. I had all this stuff uh, planned. Where, I'll tell you one 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 evil plan of mine uh that came to fruition is it starts off with him meaning somebody who's uh, apparently this is a close encounter of the third kind you know right and and you know I mean if that happened to me I'd, I'd be suspicious and you know did that really happen and you uh, know maybe it was just you know the, anyway I I have I'd struggle with the concept so what I did was I looked in the yellow pages, and I found a, uh, a, a phone number that alleged to be for NASA. So I called him and I play acted. <laughs> and I said, I, I got to I just got to tell somebody about this thing. I was like, uh, hiking. And, you know, I came across this guy. And, and you know, you know, I'm sorry, I'm telling him the literal story of Starbrand. Right? And the guy, I can tell he's just barely keeping from laughing. First of all, the NASA number, it's a recruiting office. <laughs> Second, um, and he says, hold on a minute. And I, <laughs> I, just as he's starting to laugh, he puts me on hold. So finally, it wasn't him that comes out. I guess it was his commanding officer, who at least was a little more respectful. I mean, thought he was talking to a lunatic, which he was. Hmm. But uh, uh, he said, he said, look, he said, we used to have Project Blue Book. And mm-hmm. he said, uh, we abandoned that years ago, but uh, the, whatever university in Colorado Springs, Colorado State, maybe, I think. Sure. He said, they've taken that program over. He said, we, we transferred all of our records and stuff to them. And they're, you know, on a much lower scale. You know, they, they continue to look into all these things. He said, you should call there. He gave me a number. Oh. So I called there, right, and I told the guy the story. And unlike the Air Force guy, he was sympathetic. Oh, he said, he said, well, he said, uh, we we do get a lot of stories like yours. He said, and he said, honestly, he said, most of them are just fables. You know, that's just they're uh, they're not real. He he said, he said, but uh, if you have documentation, or if you if if you can present some evidence, we'd love to see it. You know, uh-huh. and I said, I said, all right. I said, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Well, then I went and wrote my comic book. But, <laughs> but, but, I mean, I wanted to see what would happen. So I actually played that scene out in Starbucks. Uh-huh. I had him call and get laughed at and so forth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I that. yeah. And I so I was trying to make it as, as good as I could, <laughs> you know, as real as yeah. I could. It was great. I mean, uh, you even have uh, Debbie uh, getting threatened by the old man, and, and th- that really brings home the, what you were saying about it, the need for a secret identity. Um, yeah. which You know, before it was, oh, I just don't want Lois to fall in love with me. Uh, there yeah. were real stakes in there, Richard. Yeah. You, you have a funny yeah. story here.
1: This is I did research for this, and I came across this um, claim to be a fact. Jim Shooter wrote a Dazzler film, uh, Treatment, working in the, the roles for Cher, Rodney Dangerfield, Kiss, Robin Williams, Donna Summer, and the Village People.
2: Those People, <laughs> also Lenny and Squiggy.
1: Lenny and the Squiggy Tones, <laughs> and I know why. They were all Casablanca
0: records artists, right? That's
2: right. That's right. Because what, what Alice Donnefeld, our genius, wonderful company counsel and business affairs vice president, uh, she saw uh, things that Archie was doing, like Josie and the Pussycats and the Archies. And, and she said, well, why can't we do that? I and mean, we'd do it better. And, uh, and so she asked me to develop a musical character. So I wasn't exactly hip to the current music scene, uh, but John Romita Jr. was. So I got him involved and I think a couple other people, you know, because like I said, it was a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but so I wanted to get input. And uh, among us, between us, we uh, developed this character, the Dazzler. And I'll tell you, at the time, it was the Disco Dazzler, because Disco was it. You know, it was the hottest thing. Uh, and uh, I think John Romita was the only, John Romita Jr. was the only one who had actually been in a Disco. So <laughs>
1: um,
2: so anyway, so we developed this character, and, and uh, Casablanca loved it. And we, we quickly, it was our, our idea, but we quickly just called her Dazzler you know, just to not get dated here. Uh And, um, and so anyway, they were really into the idea. They, they liked it. So the way the Archie's and everything works is, is you have some entertainment cartoons or, or comics or whatever, starring your character to give them a fictional history. And then they get studio musicians to do the music, Mm -hmm. Uh right. And, and cross pollinate a little bit. So, uh, that was the plan. And, um, and so they said they wanted to launch it with a half hour animated special. And for some reason, they, they, they had a timing problem. There they they, they, was a certain window they needed. And so they needed it in a tremendous hurry. They, they said, can you write us, can you get us a story written for the half hour animated special? I said, I mean, like they wanted it like over a weekend, you know, I mean, and I thought, well, the best guy is Archie Goodwin. He's not gonna do this over a weekend. Said, will you get Harlan Ellison? I said, yeah, if we want it next year. <laughs> um, you know, I, I said, I, so I'm trying to figure, and either I didn't think the people were qualified or I, I just, they weren't available. And so I thought, well, I have to do it myself. You know, I just, there's nobody else. I'll either be the hero or I'll be the goat. And um, so I, I wrote it. It's called New York, New York, or a Tale of Two Cities. And uh, yes, and Donna Summers, the queen of Upper Hatton, and Cher the queen of Lower Hatton. And of course, they're at war. And the whole thing is a uh, nice complex plot. And and uh, Rodney Dangerfield actually plays three roles. Uh, I, I might have had to change this name, but but I, I love the name, so I used it for the story. He's a law firm called Cheatham, Dewey and Howe. <laughs> um, and, and so anyway, you know, and he's he's actually fomenting the war and, and he's got um, uh, Robin Williams was the romantic lead, the male romantic lead, and the Dazzler was the female romantically. And there were other other superheroes in there. Um, so I wrote this thing and because they wanted voice parts for all of everybody they had under contract. That's wow. why all those characters were in there. Uh-huh. And so so uh, uh, like Lenny and Squee are the court jesters who aren't funny at all until they meet each other and together they're funny, stuff like that. Anyway, um, so I wrote this story and uh, the meeting was called and the Casablanca guys are sitting there, not not Neil Bogart, but high executives. And the guy taps his finger on my script and he says, this is not a half hour animated special. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and he said, this is a feature film. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Really? <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a feature film. Yeah, I meant that, you know. And uh, and so uh, uh, so all right. So then, uh, my my intrepid uh, business affairs VP, um, Alice Donoville, genius. She she goes to the Cannes Film Festival, and this is right after that movie Ten with Bo Derrick was such a mm-hmm. huge monster hit. And at right. that point, Bo Derrick was the hottest name in Hollywood. Everyone wanted to do Bo Derrick's next movie. All right. Alice somehow we, we, works her way in and gets to see, gets to have a meeting with Bo Derrick. Mm. I mean, don't worry yet. But she, she got it done. She, she got in there somehow. Bo read my treatment on the spot, and she agreed to become attached. She wanted to play the Dazzler. So she ag- agreed to an attachment right there. There's a cover of People magazine that has uh, Bo Derrick walking towards you and her, beside her is her husband, John Derrick. On the other side was Alice Donfield, but they cut her out of the picture. Um, <laughs> and uh, you, if you look closely in John Derrick's hands is a stack of Marvel comics. That's right after that meeting. Wow. Right? And so uh, uh, so anyway, uh, for two weeks, uh, we had we, th- we had the world by the tail. We had a yeah. bidding war. All the big studios in Hollywood were bidding. For our movie, because they wanted Bo Derrick's next movie, and uh, and then Bo amended her attachment agreement to say that her husband John Derrick, had to direct it. Now John had, was kind of a failed director; he was famously uh, late, over budget, and not very good. All right, and so he hadn't; he, he, his career had kind of crashed and burned. And so as soon as she said that, all the studios pulled out. Nobody wanted John Derrick. They not even to get Bo. And uh, and so uh, uh years later, it took her a couple of years, but she finally got somebody to agree to that. And they did a Tarzan movie. Yeah, and it was late, over budget, and bad. <laughs> and it basically ended both of their careers. So you know, anyway, so that close, but uh wow. just didn't happen.
0: Uh we are heading to the end of our time here let me I know I
2: talk too much. I'm sorry. No,
0: (laughs) This is why we're doing this is to hear you talk. I'm always curious when we have guests, I always ask them this, Do you have a personal collection? Still?
2: Uh, I wouldn't call it a collection. I've got a lot of comics and stuff here. uh, But I haven't, you know, been real, I mean, I I read them all the time, I use them for reference. and, And so it's, it's kind of a working files, I guess. But no, I, I mean I love comics and I I, I have a lot, because uh, you just they they do accumulate if you're on the comp list. Uh-huh. And uh, but I also have given away so many. I mean every time a, a a kid comes over or something like that, I make sure they leave with some comics, you know. Um, or when I, my friend Debbie, when when she's going to see the, and sometimes I go with her to see her. Or, uh, great nieces and nephew and uh, always take them something you know and uh, this and the older comics are are good because like some of the stuff today you don't want to show young kids
0: no you don't want to drop a copy of them yeah, I mean, probably
2: won't yeah. hurt them but but their parents <laughs> would like it you know yeah
0: well yeah. let me so, let me wait. wrap this up and let you go by by giving you uh, a little story there's an 18 year old guy kid just out of high school, doesn't know what he wants to do. He knows he wants to be creative in some way, whether it's comics or music. He's walking around Mid-Ohio Con in Mansfield, Ohio in 1988. And in the hallway is a really tall gym Shooter by himself, wandering <laughs> the halls. Yeah, this old, yeah. I stopped and talked to you, asked you a bunch of questions just like today. You took 20 to 25 minutes just talking to me and encouraging me and i never ever ever forgot that Jim. and no. i would have never imagined my life today here in LA working where i work and doing what i do without that conversation
2: so well thanks. i'm 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 ha- very happy to hear that and and i i, I can explain we're all <laughs> fans we're all fans and 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 you know it's like uh, uh it's a, it's a much fun for me as as it is for somebody who doesn't have all the inside story. I mean, we all love this stuff and you find someone also loves it. Hey, you know, we're in the club, you know, and that's I I go to these conventions all the time. Everybody in the building's a fan,
0: you know, Uh it doesn't matter which side of the table you're on. That's why you all get along so well. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us today, Uh, everybody. uh, uh, Richard. Anything, last words from you? I think you're all set. You got all your legions out of you.
1: I got my legions. St- yeah, I got that right. done. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. You, you, you are the uh, foundation of my childhood. <laughs> Me and uh, some of
2: the best people on earth.
1: You know, yeah, right. but, uh, absolutely.
0: Uh, anyway, any, any, you appearances you want to, any appearances or anything you want to promote?
2: I'm going to be at. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm going to be at the Fan Expo in Cleveland next weekend
0: Richard that's what we're yeah. doing. and
2: then I'm going to be at uh Megacon like the next weekend so it's like it's you know they're both long cons so I'm home for one day and then oh. I'm on the road again <laughs> so got that and there's a whole bunch of other ones coming up but I, I really can't remember exactly where I'm going to be I know I'm going to be in uh, Roanoke again at the NovaCon in Washington I don't remember when they are um, and I'm going to be at, um, this nice guy named Mike Federale he has a bunch of conventions around the country. he has got, um, Savannah, um, Charles, and has got one in Massachusetts, Springfield, I think. And he puts on a great show. They're not huge. They're, but they're nice. They're, they're big enough and they're busy and, and they, he gets, he draws a lot of people and they, they love it So...
0: All right. Everybody knows how Google works. So Google gym shooter and convention, and I'm sure you can get a nice little list. Yeah. There. Uh, thanks again. We really appreciate it. My, my pleasure, guys. So
2: anytime, much. anytime as you want to, you know, to
0: new list of questions, I'm ready. Uh Oh, you're you're screwed oh, okay. now.
1: Uh, <laughs> Richard, it finally happened, didn't it? Dude, I have to give you props for getting that set up. This is this has been an amazing day. Um, the man is amazing as well. So thanks again for, for making one of my bucket list things happen.
0: I got to thank uh, Jim because this was literally months in the making. We first started uh, doing that email dance, I think in November of last year. And for uh, for his age, the man is extremely busy. I, I, I look at that and I'm jealous and I want to be that way. It, it keeps you young. So for him to take the time and spend with us when two people that he doesn't know from adam uh to be on a podcast a little silly comic book podcast i mean that just shows you how great of a guy he is so again we appreciate you jim shooter thank Absolutely. you very much thank you very uh, well. let's move on to our all shooter all day episode <laughs> with our underrated books of the week richard start us off
1: you mentioned it earlier yeah my underrated book of the week is dazzler number one from 1980 this is this is a, this is a, a book that has been long maligned Um, uh, it is the first i just you know doing my research for the show found out this factoid it's the first direct only issue from a major publisher you didn't know that I did not know that jim shooter uh, was the, the editor-in-chief at the time and he marketed this to uh, specialty shops as opposed to the normal newsstand and later issues came out on the newsstand as well but this was the first direct only issue that uh a major publisher put out
0: i'm gonna stop you because i think there is controversy here over oh, that yeah. i believe dc comics had a superboy spectacular that was direct only uh there's a little part of the back of my brain saying that came first and just a lot of people don't know about it, but you know, for the sake of argument and the underrated book of the week and Jim Shooter, let's just say this is the first one, go for it.
1: Yeah. For those that don't know, Dazzler is, is a, um, superhero who uses sound to make light. Um, big disco star at the time. Uh, when disco was still still around when this in 1980, I don't I know, I think <laughs> it was the tail
0: end of disco. Um, I think you're right. Funky town by lip sync was number one
1: in 1980. So that counts. There you go. And of course, you would know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book is a dollar bin special. I mean, I, you can find this book all day and all night in the inexpensive parts of people's long boxes. Uh, it never has had a strong value. But I think it's it's still a cool character. Um, and it's it's also important as the pivotal change from a newsstand only business that comics book were for for decades to something to a more, more specialty market. And I I think it's an important book because of that. Not an expensive book, a nine eight last sold for 150 bucks, and I wouldn't pay a penny more than for than that for it right now. But you never know. I mean, I like I said, I think this book is important from a historical standpoint.
0: There is no newsstand version, so if anybody ever tries to sell you a newsstand version, they took a UPC and pasted it on with some elbows <laughs> or something. There is, however, Richard, an error version of this book. Are you aware of that? I am aware that
1: there, there, uh, there is an error version.
0: It is missing the color plate on a few of the pages inside. So flip through it. I think it's around the center fold. You'll see it. It's very noticeable. Uh, I've had a few copies of that error edition throughout the years and had them slabbed in 9.8s. And CGC does note it on the label and it commands a little bit of a
1: premium. Mm-hmm. But still, I, I wouldn't pay a lot for this book. <laughs> you leave Alison Blair alone. I know. I, I, I'm sorry. It's, it's <laughs> she got beat up by rogue. <laughs> it's just character is, you know, she, 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 uh, is part of the X-Men storyline. So if you read X-Men from the period, you will, you will see her pop up. Um, but I, you know, I, in the long, long and the short of it is I don't really see a huge MCU presence for her in the future. She fought Dr. Doom. She was a herald of Galactus.
0: <laughs> so was
1: that <Aunt> May. <laughs> I know.
0: It's the matter <laughs> of the what if multiverse, isn't it? Yeah. Golden yeah. Oli and Dazzler, the heralds of the <laughs> All right. Let me move on to my underrated book plural of the week in this all shooter all the time episode. It is Harbinger issues one through nine probably my favorite title from Valiant Comics in that initial run of uh, just the classic Valiant titles, created and written by Jim Troubleshooter. This run lays the groundwork for a lot of the Valiant universe, introducing Pete Stanchek and the Harbinger Foundation. Uh, It also helped kick off the gimmick craze in comics throughout the 90s when everything had a gimmick. Uh, The issues one through six had a coupon that you could clip out and redeem for a mail order only copy of harbinger zero i had stacks of this book because although it was very low ordered and very in demand the comic shop i was helping manage at the time adventure comics in monterey california and salinas california for the second location uh ordered really heavily on valiance and they didn't sell and they sat and I think I've told this story on the podcast a billion times when I took basically a long box of Valiant number ones, all various titles, uh, home to Cleveland when I moved back in Cleveland to Cleveland in 1992. And I traded a whole bunch of them for an Avengers 4. Uh, probably a smart move in retrospect. But and I tell so you that's that Avengers 4? 4. I don't have that Avengers 4, but I have an Avengers 4. How's that? That's good. Uh, I had multiples of one through six, so I had no problem clipping a coupon from each of them and sending it in. And I got my Harbinger zero, I think a year and a half later, I think it took forever. Uh, Shooter had left the company at that point. It was written by David Lampum and yeah, it was crazy. Uh, as far as Harbinger number one, a 90 day average for a CGC 9.8 is $743. Sounds impressive, but that is a down from a high of $1,043 last year. Now, I have a little 9.6 sitting over here in my box. Um, That's very affordable. It'll cost you around 180. So if you really want a 9.8 and you're willing to plunk down an extra, let's see, let's do some math here. $500 and 50, 550. um, God bless you. I'm happy with my (laughs) 9.6. That's
1: that's typically my attitude anymore. 9.6 is good enough.
0: All right. That is going to wrap it up for this episode. Again, thank you very much, Jim Shooter. Thank you for everybody who submitted questions through Instagram. And thank you, Richard. Well, thank you, John,
1: for getting it all set up.
0: All right. We will catch you next time. Everybody,
1: stay safe.